الحمد لله الحمد لله الخالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومخرج الصبر من الألم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي ونسلم على رسوله الأكرم ذي الشرف الأشم والنور الأتم وكمال النبيين والكتاب المحكم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم والذي بارك الله به كافة الناس العرب منهم والعجم فسبحان الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا أما بعد يقول الله تعالى في كتابه بعد أن نعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن شر الدواب عند الله الصم البكم الذين لا يعقلون ولو علم الله فيهم خيرا لأسمعهم ولو أسمعهم لتولوا وهم معرضون وقال عليه الصلاة والسلام لصحابي حين قاله أوصني فردد مرارا قال لا تغضب فردد مرارا قال لا تغضب أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام Respected audience, dear brothers and sisters uh, We live in time or in times in which everyone's angry and from, from older people to people in their middle ages to the, the, to the younger generation, to the younger crowd each and every single one of, us, one of them is frustrated and angry and if you were to ask them the reason behind their frustration and anger, nobody would know. And nobody would be able to point out that single thing in their life which makes them angry. But everyone is angry. And when you look at the hadith of Rasulullah in which Rasulullah mentions the two people who were fighting in his company, and he said that if they knew that they had become toys in the hands of shaitan, they, had, they were being manipulated by shaitan, they would have immediately calmed down. So we find one common culprit behind the problems of mankind from the very beginning. As, as shaitan himself said, that I will make it my life's mission to take each and every single human being away from the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and take them towards their whims, emotions and passions. And I will indulge them therein and they will get busy trying to please themselves because a person doesn't realize when you go behind your emotions when you go behind your passions you become a slave of yourself and in, t- in trying to please yourself you justify each and every single wrong of this world so the hadith that we recited in the beginning a sahabi he came to Rasulullah it was Abu Hurairah an, and he said to Rasulullah he came to Rasulullah and he said, Ya Rasulullah give me some advice. And Rasulullah could have told him that pray your five-time daily salah, or be mindful of your zakah, or go to hajj once a year. But what was the advice that Rasulullah gave him? It was, don't be angry, or don't get, do not get angry. And when we look at it, we see that this advice contains success in this world and in the life hereafter. How do we presume success in this world that a person who is frequently anger, angry usually ends up breaking his family? And this is something that we commonly see, that if it's the head of the household, then there's, there's always feud in the family. 
And if it's someone who's not in a position of power and who cannot run the affairs of home and he's being commanded, then there's frustration inside of him and there's trauma. And I'm sure most of you know that the younger generation and the younger crowd grows up with a lot of trauma in their head. Even though it may not even be a thing as significant to cause trauma in your head. But it's just pent up anger which keeps growing and growing and the person keeps getting angry and angry and finally, eventually they just blow up. Let us take one example from the life of Rasulullah before we move on to the next hadith. The incident of Uhud was a devastating incident in the lives of Sahaba Ridwanullahi Ta'ala and for the Muslims in general. Because previous, the year before that, they had Badr, and Badr was a complete success from the very beginning till the end. There were 313. Everyone thought that they would be wiped off the face of this planet. And Rasulullah said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in, in a dua which he made right before the battle, he said, Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if this little group of Muslims are wiped out from the face of earth today, then till the day of Qiyamah there will be nobody to worship you, oh Allah. This was the dua Rasulullah made. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them success in the battle of, of Badr. And the Muslims were victorious and the mushrikeen of Mecca were repelled. Some of their biggest leaders were killed. Next year came Uhud. And naturally everyone was riled up and they were ready, the youngsters of the crowd, they wanted to go out of the city and fight. This time the Muslims fa faced a larger difficulty because the mushrikeen were larger in number. The, the year before that they were not as large in number as much as they were this year and there was the, the notion of revenge. And revenge is something we'll also discuss, it's a part of the discussion of anger. So they, they came for revenge. Rasulullah decided to stay within the limits of the city and fight them in the city because it would be familiar territory and familiar ground and it will be very easy for you to overpower your enemy if you're in familiar territory. The youngsters of the crowd, since a lot of times there's less aqal present over there, I'm, I'm a youngster myself, so they were hasty in the decision and they tried to force Rasulullah to leave the city. This was the first problem that came in and Rasulullah went inside his home and wore his armor. Now when he came out, the older people, they said that Ya Rasulullah Wasallam, we never meant to force your hand. And the, the, the younger crowd has no experience whatsoever. You do as you please, O Rasulullah. One thing we notice here, and it's something which is essential and crucial to running the affairs of, of our home as well, and, or anything that we're given control over, that Rasulullah did not immediately tell everyone to do as he pleased. He would make mashwara with them. Mashawirhum fil amr. It wasn't a dictatorship. Yikaro. Jalo. If because if anyone was worthy of doing that, it would be Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. After all, he is Khatamun Nabi and he is the Prophet, and he is in the position of giving commands. And the commands that he's given will remain till the day of Qiyamah. But he just didn't say, Niklo say, let's go. I said so. You can manik idea. No, he made mashwara with them. And this was the order given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ And take their opinion, do mashwara with them in the different affairs that pertain to you. And what's interesting here is the command was given to Rasulullah. The command wasn't given to the Sahaba. That the Sahaba do mashwara with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah commanded Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to do mashwara with his Ashab. So, the, they left the outskirts of Medina. Rasulullah said, once a Nabi wears an armor, I'm sure you've heard this multiple times before, then it's not befitting for a Nabi to take his armor off. And hence, they, they left 
the city of Medina to face their enemy. And initially they were victorious. Rasulullah had designated a group of people on, on one of the raised elevations, which was in the, towards the back of the Muslim army, so that if anyone plans to attack them from behind, they will be protected from behind. It was a group of the, the best archers that were there. And if any one of you has been there uh, in, on, on, on towards Mount Uhud, you would have seen that raised elevated place. It's in the middle of the field itself. Uh, so initially the Muslims were victorious and the, the war spoils were being distributed. So these group of people, they thought that the war is over and it's okay for us to go. Rasulullah had explicitly told them that do not move from here unless I tell you. And they left except for a group of people. And when Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu was not a Muslim at that time saw this, he saw the, the perfect opportunity and he came from behind. So when he came from behind, there was a group of 11 people left on, on that, uh, that raised place and they were finished within minutes. So when the Muslims turned around, they faced another group of mushrikeen with swords in their hands and in front of them were mushrikeen as well. They were sandwiched in between. So, that, so a victory was turned into defeat and a large group of Sahaba, 70 of them, uh, passed away that day. It was a day of mourning in Medina itself. Imagine a small little village. Medina wasn't that large at that time. The population wasn't that big. Seventy people were taken away within a day. It was, there was a lot of grief in Medina. But the point here being that naturally Rasulullah would be angry. That I gave you the command. I told you to stay there unless told otherwise by me. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He revealed verses in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْ فَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ that, O oh, Rasulullah if you were an individual with a hard heart and a hard tongue, harsh tongue, where you would say harsh things to your companions, and this is for the Sahaba, then these group of people that you see sitting around you and that are connected to you would not be connected to you. They would leave your side and leave you. So this shows the character of Rasulullah It shows the command given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Rasulullah that be gentle with them, treat them with kindness. And this was a group of the most devoted individuals. So let alone my example, or your example, or anyone else, a common human being, there's only a, a certain amount of anger that can be taken or that can be exercised from both sides before a person hits the limits. So when we look at the life of Rasulullah, this was the time for Rasulullah to be angry. His own uncle, Hamza radiallahu an, perished, became shaheed at the hands of Wahshi radiallahu an. It was a time of extreme grief for Rasulullah. And any time a janazah would come, Rasulullah would order that the janazah of Hamza radiallahu an be also, also be brought forth. So he prayed Salatul Janazah on him 70 times. The level of grief was such. And he said that everyone has someone to cry over them. But there is no one to cry over Hamza radiallahu an. But we don't see an expression of anger from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam even at that time. He didn't say, what did you do? Or why did you do this? But they were happy with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. رَضِينَا بِقَضَاءِ اللَّهِ وَقَدَرِي And towards the end of the life of Rasulullah, he would specifically go to Uhud and, and visit the shuhada of Uhud. So this shows the even in places where anger could have been expressed. Now don't get me wrong, at times people say that you shouldn't get angry at all. And a lot of people claim that I, I don't get angry. Uh, that is a lie. Because anger is something which is, it's an emotion which is within every human being. 
There's no human being on the face of this planet who can claim that they don't get angry. The most important thing being control of your anger. And that's something that we need to work on as human beings. How do you control your anger? This is a commonly asked question because everyone gets angry. There's moments when you do things that you later on regret. That is why the lesson is taken from the hadith of Rasulullah in which he states, this is, this is related to the aspect of controlling the anger. He says, لَيْسَ الشَّدِيدُ بِالصُرْعَةِ That a, the strong person is not the one who's a strong wrestler or who has a strong body or is able uh, to tackle the other individual. He said that a strong individual is not the one who has a strong body or is able to tackle the other individual or is a wrestler. That the strong individual is the one who is able to control himself in a state of anger. And how many times do you see that the person did something, uh, something crazy in a fit of anger? Or he said something in a fit of anger? There's so many talaqs that happen. Later on people come to the ulama trying to see, seeking reconciliation, saying that I ended up saying three talaqs or whatever to my wife. And why did you do that? I got angry. So, what did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say? لَيْسَ الشَّدِيدُ بِالصُرْعَةِ إِنَّمَا الشَّدِيدُ الَّذِي يَمْلِكُ نَفْسَهُ عِنْدَ الْغَدَبِ That the strong individual is the one who is able to control himself in the state of anger. Now, when you find yourself in that state of anger, what do you do? The other, other hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam states that if you are standing, then you should sit down. Because when a person is standing and he gets angry, he is in a position of power. There's a lot of lesson to be taken from this. When, and when you're in a position of power, you tend to do things that you regret. So if you're standing and you feel like your anger is out of control, then what do you do? You sit down. And if you're sitting down and you get angry, what do you do? You recline. And you'll notice if you try this, try this once and you, you'll find out that your anger immediately dissipates. There's no traces left of your anger because the amount of attention that you'll pay to sitting down that in itself will take your mind away from whatever is making you angry. We may think from some of these ahadith that anger is not permissible at all. There are certain scenarios in which anger is permissible. And you find a lot of people, for example, something may have occurred at the masjid and they were out of control. Or an argument happened and they, they became angry. And people later on said that you should not have gotten angry. But there are certain things that do require anger. And, and, and those things are when there is a deficiency happening in deen. When you look at the qawl of Abu Bakr an, in which he states that that deficiency can happen in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I'm alive, that's not possible. So you find that every, all of their emotions were concentrated on deen itself. The rest was all, they were all sidelines. So their main focus and their, prior, their main priority was the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and anything that they would do or any emotion that they would go through would be for the sake of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So a lot of times you find people who, who in, a, in a deeny situation, in a deeny scenario, only when you're on the haq. There's some people who might find themselves in a situation where they were arguing but they were not on the right, they were not on haq. This is the time when you let go of what you're standing on. You shouldn't stand on it just because for the sake of you being right or because you do not want to back down. That's the problem of the nafs. That's arrogance. If you 
look at the definition of arrogance itself, you'll find it there. It says that It's the suppression of haq. So if, in an, if in, an, in our argument, you find yourself on the wrong track, it's always good to retrace your footsteps and find out how you got up here. And if you're on, on, on the, in, in the wrong, then you should admit your mistake. And that's how a lot of times, even if, if the two of you are in a state of anger, and one of you admitted to, to making the mistake, I don't think any one of you would, would be angry anymore. Let us take a look at a few other ahadith of Rasulullah wasallam before we, we head on to the main causes of, of anger itself. That Rasulullah wasallam uh, mentioned, actually there's a hadith of Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu an, anna rajulan atan nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam faqal, ya Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam alimni kalimatin a'ishu bihinna wala takthur alayya fa'ansa he said, O Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam give me a few words from which I can benefit and please make them brief so that I do not forget them Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to him that la taghdab do not be angry now the, the commentator on the hadith mentions that the person asking the question would probably have meant a dua or a few words that he can recite frequently but the matter of anger was such it was of such importance that Rasulullah told him that instead because in it is khair in this world and the life hereafter any person who is able to gain some form of control over his anger will attain success and if he kept on repeating these words in a state of anger they would also cause his anger uh, to dissipate there's another incident which is mentioned here is istabba rajulani inda nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa nahnu indahu julusan that two people started to curse in the company of rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and we were with rasulullah was there present with us wa ahaduhuma yasubbu sahibahu mughdiban and one of them was cursing his companion in a state of anger and his face became red Rasulullah said I know of a word if he recited this word in this state right now the state that he finds himself in will go away so the Sahaba asked Ya Rasulullah what are those words Rasulullah said A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem if he recited, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, his anger would go away. What does that teach us? When do we recite Ta'awudh? Anyone? To get rid of Shaitan. Usually you're doing it in, before any act of worship, before your recitation of the Quran. One would think, I'm about to recite the Quran, Shaitan would run away anyways. But Shaitan's always present there. In Shaitana Yajri Fil Insan Majrad Dam. Shaitan runs through the veins of the son of Adam like the way the blood flows through your veins. And if you notice, when you get angry, what happens? What do you feel yourself? Do you feel your heart pumping faster? So in the definition of ghadab, it's mentioned that when the blood starts to flow faster through your veins and your heart starts to beat faster, this is an indication that you are angry. And shaitan flows through your veins like blood itself means shaitan has a huge hand in making you angry so rasulullah said a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim and you sh- this is something that we should actually implement within our lives and something that you should recite frequently whenever you find yourself in a state in which you're doubting yourself 
or you feel like you're about to commit a sin or something which may even remotely resemble a sin A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem should be recited now how do we fix the aspect of anger moving on uh, fixing anger has directly to do with the nafs and the nafs is something which to gain control over is one of the most difficult things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in numerous places in the Quran the aspect of nafs وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَّارَةٌ بِسُوءٍ Yusuf alayhi salam when the entire incident unfolded before him his brothers betrayed him they threw him in the well then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the upper hand what did he say وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَّارَةٌ بِسُوءٍ that I do not exonerate my nafs this is a Nabi saying it because the nafs has the tendency to lean towards evil so the nafs is attached to the son of Adam and the reason why the nafs is so relevant is because we find ourselves at the doorstep of the month of Ramadan and the hadith states that تُصَفَّدُ فِيهِ مَرَدَةُ الشَّيَاطِينَ that the shayateen are imprisoned in the month of Ramadan the lengthy hadith of Rasulullah in which he states أَتَاكُمْ شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ شَهْرٌ مُبَارَكٌ a month is about to dawn upon you just like around this time Rasulullah told the Sahaba that a month is about to dawn upon you uh, it has a night which is better than the, the, the worship of a thousand nights and then he mentions that that angels are deputed and they shackle up the shayateen and take them away yet mankind finds itself frequently committing sins in the month of Ramadan as well so many people complain that if the shayateen are gone what is causing us to commit sins that is the attachment of the nafs itself with the son of Adam there are different types of nafs there is the nafs muti'ah this is a type of nafs which is always in a state of peace and seldom do people attain that type of nafs it, it, it requires uh, the exercise of a lifetime rarely has anyone ever, ever been able to gain complete control over their nafs and this type of nafs the mufassirin have mentioned uh, specifically that this type of nafs is at peace why is it at peace? Because it does not have a guilty conscience. You know, when a person frequently indulges in sins, people go through different phases in life. Uh, there are times in their life when they find themselves content or in a state of contentment when it comes to their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number one, you can never be content. If you look at the example of the Sahaba, they were always striving for more. And when it came to their akhirah, they were always concerned. You would find them crying. Why do you think they would say, I wish I were a rock or a tree? It was because of the fear of the hereafter, facing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of, of qiyamah, on the day of judgment. So as human beings, we're never meant to be satisfied in this worldly life with the dini aspects of our life. We're always striving for more. But, but the, the nafs that we're discussing here is, uh, is after remaining steadfast on the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do you attain uh, this type of nafs? So there is, uh, the, the war of the conscience is not going on within you. you. You are at ease and in a state of peace. This type of nafs is very difficult to attain and sometimes people spend an entire lifetime uh, trying to attain uh, this type of nafs. The second type of nafs is a nafs al-lawama. <clears throat> and nafs al-lawama is, is good in the sense, the reason why it's called the wama it comes from the word loam. 
and loam. What does loam mean? Ridicule. The reason why it's called lawama is because this type of nafs ridicules you when you do something wrong. That's why there's a positive aspect to this nafs. Yes, you did do something wrong, but you're not happy about doing something wrong. You're not happy about committing that sin, and now you have a war waging within you. You feel guilty, and there's a back and forth inside of you. And the reason why it's positive is because you feel that you've committed a sin. There's so many people out in the world who do wrong, and they don't even feel bad about it. There's the hadith of Rasulullah which states that the aspect of committing a sin for some people is just like a fly that they, were, they, they, they swat away. And for other people it's like a mountain. It's as if they're being forced under the, the load of a mountain. So nafs al-lawama is the nafs that will ridicule you and after the sin's being committed a war, you will wage a war inside of you and eventually it leads you towards tawbah and this is also one of the requirements of tawbah itself that, the, that a person has remorse over what he's done so the first type of nafs was nafs mutma'inna this is the nafs which is at ease it is at peace the second type of nafs was nafsul lawama and this nafs has loam it has ridicule whenever a person does something wrong there is remorse there is a war that wages within you and then last type of nafs is Nafs amara bisu. This is a nafs which has a tendency to go towards wrong. It's completely evil. And this type of state is attained after years and years of, of remaining in sins. The hadith of Rasulullah states, So that when a son is committed by the son of Adam, a black dot appears. If you, if you repent, it is erased. Your heart goes back to the way it is. But if you don't, then... Those dots continue to appear on your heart. Gradually, this heart, it's a completely blackened heart, devoid of khair. And I'm sure you, we notice that within ourselves at times. There are phases in our life when you feel that way. You do not feel like offering salah. You don't feel like coming to the masjid. If you're in the masjid, your heart is outside the masjid. If you open the Qur'an, you want to shut the Qur'an. You don't want to indulge in anyone. You don't even want to indulge with your family members. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to fulfill their rights. Where do you think that is coming from? And for students of knowledge, you wake up in the morning, you don't want to go in class. You're in class, you don't, you don't want to concentrate in class. You want to go out. And you want to remain out. You will frequently want to go to the bathroom. Imagine, and this frequently happens to students, that's why I'm mentioning it, that they are in, in, a, in such a blessed environment in which the ayat of the Qur'an are being recited, the ahadith of Rasulullah are being recited, and even if that is not the subject matter at hand, you're learning things, tools that will help you understand the Qur'an and hadith itself. What will shaitan do? He will pick you up from that protected environment and take you to the restroom. You don't even have to go. But you will just get up because you don't feel like sitting in class. So this is what happens when the heart is devoid of khayr. And gradually the heart becomes completely black. Now how is this related to anger? these types of nufus that we have mentioned is because a person that has nafs mutma'inna is also able to control the emotions that he goes through so when he's in a state of anger he's able to question himself why am I angry is this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is, it, or is it for my sake is it because there's a deficiency which occurred in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or, or, or it is because of a petty affair in my life and we'll notice decisions made in a state of calm are much more sane and wise than the decisions made 
in a fit or in a state of anger. So a person who has nafs mutwa'inna is able to control his anger somewhat. <clears throat> Not complete control. There's no one who can claim that they have complete control. It's just saddidu wa qaribu. Where you try to make best of the situation and you make sure you don't do anything that you regret later on. As for the evil type of nafs, this type of individual has no control over himself. He will get angry for his nafs. He will get angry when he, don't get, when he does not get his food on time. He, he reaches home, there's a two minute delay, three minute, five minute delay. Now, you've, you've received your food on time the entire week. <coughs> it's a sense, sense of entitlement to think that you'll have your food on a certain time or on a certain minute. You're getting frustrated and angry. This is not just for the head of household. So many children do batamizi at home. They go home from school, khana nahi milta. Or they see dal in front of them, mootchadhana shuru ho Why didn't you cook something that I like? It's, it's such a small thing. And, and you're doing batamizi with your mother on that. So these are the things that we need to control. You know, it may seem from the way we discussed anger, that anger comes from large issues like divorce or things that will cause intense harm in your life. But a lot of times anger comes from these little petty things at home. Why is this here? Why are not my keys here? Or why did you car park the car why did you park the car the wrong way? Or why is the temperature or why is the heat so up? Why is the AC so high? Oh, and little things like this, people end up getting into fights. Entire households are broken apart, they're ripped apart. So attaining that tolerance, it's a part of the islah of nafs. Attaining that control over yourself, that I cannot get angry whenever I want to. If the, the, the matter or situation at hand demands anger, and like I said, the only permissibility aspect of that is when there is some sort of deficiency in the deen of Allah. Even then, Hikmah and wisdom is meant to be exercised. How many times do you find people? Zor zor se masjid mein cheekh rahe hain. In front of the entire congregation, you're yelling. Or going to the imam, complaining to him, Ya, aap is tarah kyun karte hain? Aap is tarah kyun karte hain? Ask yourself, why am I doing it? Recently, a, a student came complaining. Uh, I think he was leading salah somewhere. And after salah, the musalli, he came and he said that you said salam when I was entering the masjid. Aapne namaz khatam kar di, kab jab masjid mein dakhil Why are you blaming him for that? So, a lot of times we need to ask ourselves, the thing that I'm about to do, does it even make sense? Or the thing that's making me angry, does it, is it even something that demands the emotion of anger? Maybe you could be frustrated at yourself that I got up late, or I, I, made, I started preparing for salah later on. But going up to the imam and saying, that, you know, you finish your salah when I was entering the masjid, how is he supposed to? He doesn't have eyes at the back of his head. I'm sure if he knew, he would, you would be surprised at the amount of accommodation we have in our deen. Sometimes the imams, they lengthen their rukus. I don't know if, if the musallis notice that or no. There's a lot of accommodation in our deen. They lengthen their rukus so that, so that the maximum amount of people can join in salah. That's because they hear footsteps. Although we should come with uh, hudu, sakina, and waqar. That's the command given in the hadith. Don't come running to the masjid. So many times you hear people's feet stomping in the masjid. That's something which goes against the values of salah itself. So 
we should always ask ourselves, in the state of anger, or when you feel like you're getting angry, whether this thing requires anger, what, does it even require me to get angry or no? Sometimes even, thodi si baat pyaar se kehne se, what's that famous Urdu ka makola hai? Dil barai farokht, kimat ek meetha bol. So, if you said something in a fit of anger, it will have the adverse effect. Aap islaa karna chaareen, islaa ke bajai ulti cheez hogi. Instead of Islam, the other person will get defensive. He may start to defend himself even though he may be wrong. But just because of the way you address the issue, that person will get defensive and he will refuse to admit his mistake. As opposed to when you say it with hikmah and wisdom. What was the command given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Udu'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmati wal al hasana. That call people towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with wisdom, with hikmah, exercise wisdom and hikmah. So wisdom... Hikmah is something which is meant to be exercised at all times Where you instruct people in a calm way, in a beautiful way This is something that we should try to implement within our lives The reason why anger was discussed is because the month of Ramadan is near And a lot of times uh, we find ourselves the, the word in the hadith that was used was Sakhaban Sakhab is an individual who is extremely loud, cranky and yelling at other people. He's just frustrated in general. So a lot of these things, when, when, you, when you get angry and you do things in a state of fasting, these things can render your, your, your fasting to be makruh. So just like the way we're abstaining from eating and drinking and engaging in extra activities from sunup to, to sundown, from sunrise to sunset, similarly there are other things that we have to practice. And one of those things is having complete control over yourself and to not get angry. And what happens, and this is something that almost all of us do, is when you get angry, and after your anger uh, recedes, people are like, what happened? You're blaming Psalm itself for you being angry, for a problem that you have within yourself. So always steer clear of indulging in, or, or becoming angry uh, in, in when you're fasting. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give us a tawfiq. We'll do short zikr, inshallah, and then we can proceed for breakfast.